What can make us sing? What can make us praise? Even through our pain, shout your name. Our God saves. When the world is falling apart, there's a peace down deep in our heart. Our God saves.
morning, Carpenter's Way. Once you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. When darkness speaks a louder word than the truth that we have heard, we will fight to believe and remember. You said it's finished, it is done, and by your blood we've overcome. We will ever trust in you and remember. Carpenter's Way. This is traveling season, and so we've got people traveling in and lots of people away. I know that there's some folks uh, listening on the internet as they drive back from Colorado. I'm not going to mention the Douglases by name, but uh, anyway, we are, we are glad to have you here. I hope that as you were greeting each other, you looked around for somebody who wasn't familiar, and you shook their hand and said, glad to have you here. And here, here's how you do that, because I know a lot of you feel embarrassed when you say, is this your first time with us? And they have, they're like, no, I've been here for 12 years. 
That's embarrassing. So just ask how long they've been with us. But there are new people here, and make sure you reach out to them. And, and uh, if you're, as you're exiting, you see somebody, invite them to Bible study. And uh, um, that's, uh, if you're visiting with us, welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you're watching online, we're glad to have you uh, with us this morning. It, is, it means a lot that you would take your time to be with us. Having said that, I want to remind you, this is a big old room with lots of people who come, and come in and go. We, we have about, during the school year, we average between 4 and 5.50 on Sunday mornings. There's about 1,000 people that are involved. So we have lots of moving pieces. People come, people go. And, and one of the things, my favorite stories in the community is when people meet people who come to Carpenter's Way, and they've both been here for 10 years. Um, but uh, so, so be a little, if, if you're a Carpenter's Way person, if this is your home, be a little courageous and hug somebody's neck. And if they look at you weird, that's okay. At least they walk out thinking this is a touchy church. So, but uh, we, are, we are glad you're here and we're thanking the Lord for air conditioning today. So you can be thankful for a lot of things, but we're especially thankful for air conditioning. I still say your parents were the most amazing people to stay here. They could have been on the beach or anyway, that's a discussion for a different day. Would you open your worship guides uh, because I do want to highlight some things. Again, if you're visiting with us, welcome. Uh, our hope and our prayer, having had you with us today or watching online, is that you draw, you're drawn closer to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, think, we think Carpenter's Way can make your life better, but only Jesus can make your eternal life secure. So we want you to know him, and uh, we want to encourage you in that. And uh, we are in the midst of a study right now called Who Is This Man? Uh, because we are not here to promote Baptist theology or Catholic theology or Assembly of God theology. We are here to get into the scriptures and see what God has to say about himself. So we have decided to take a look at all four Gospels as how God presents himself. So you find yourself joining us this morning about a year into his three-and-a-half-year ministry, um, and, uh, and you're going to be thrown right into his life. And uh, it's, man, I had a good time in the Word this week, so I'm looking forward to sharing with you some of the things that God has taught me. Um, and uh, in a moment, we are going to take an offering, and that's for those of us who attend here regularly. If you're, if you're a visitor this morning, you just pass the plate as it comes by. We're glad that you're here. Uh, this is our commitment to, uh, to what God is doing here in this church as well as globally, and we're involved in global missions and all. So having said that, thanks for being here. Um, it, it, you have your worship guides open now, Carpenter's Way folks. I want to remind you, this is super important that you understand that. Relationships are not built in this room. They're, they're built in Bible studies and small groups, and we have lots of them going on. And that's not just for adults. That's also for our children. And you'll notice in here, every Wednesday night we have a lot of student-children activities going on. Alicia and Casey and their team and Mark Dubos and Jeff Bonin, they, they have activities that all bring kids to the point of studying God's Word. If you were to talk to Alicia and ask her, what's the point of your ministry, she would say, by the time the kid gets through the fifth grade, we want them through the Scriptures, at least the major points of Scripture, so that when they get into junior high and high school, Jeff and his team picks it up from there and teaches them how to apply that to life. This is We are unapologetically a discipling-making church. Uh, our, our mission statement is bringing all to maturity and then some into leadership. And we will continue to do that as long as God allows. But having said that, notice in here, we have activities for kids of all ages. Um, God, uh, Jesus said the two greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. So there are activities in here for age groups, for kids to build relationship with kids and the staff. And you'll notice during the summer, there's a, a ministry for fourth through sixth grade during the week. It's a summer preteen Bible study. And, uh, uh, man, we encourage your kids to come. They spend time with staff. They spend time uh, with other kids. Lots of activities, but 
And basically, they also spend time in the Word. You're going to notice a theme in that. Uh, Wednesday nights, starting at 6.30, we have adult Bible study. But while we do that, we've got children's Bible studies going on and student ministry going on. And uh, this Wednesday night, you'll notice July 10th, for the elementary age, K through 5th grade, has their surge. This is, uh, they have pizza, and this is an opportunity for new kids to be kind of melded in, and the gospel's presented. And then extreme 6th through 12th, that's our student ministry. That'll be down in the student room. And this week we have a very, very special guest speaker. He is awesome. And worship's going to be great, too. We have a special guest worship leader, right? Yeah, so anyway, so uh, it's exciting. As uh, uh, So we have these things not for social outlets. Please understand, you can have friends over to your house, but this is to build relationships with God and each other. So that's why we do those. And adults, we have phenomenal Wednesday night Bible studies going on, uh, studying the Word. We have women's, women's Bible studies. Every Tuesday morning, men from 6.30 to 7.10, we meet here and we open God's Word. And we want you to be involved in these to get to know God and each other better. So please look at those. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. After the service, I always sit up here for about 10 or 15 minutes. If you have questions that I can answer for you, um, also at the table as you walk in right against that wall, uh, against the wood wall, we have a table of people that are willing to answer questions about Bible studies and different things. We, we really want you to get involved because that's where we grow. So uh, that's all about that. Take time to look through here. we got TNT coming up. I don't want to forget that. That's this Thursday night as well. For those who are 50 or older or feel like it. So, <laughs> so um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time, and we will prepare for our offering. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to pray for us. I do want to, uh, as uh, summer is here, we're at that time of the year where giving slows because people are traveling. So Carpenter's Way, folks, you may, uh, maybe the Lord will lead you to give a little extra or keep, keep faithful on your giving because we still support our mission work and everything, and, and the air conditioner has been turned down. So, No, I mean, that's the way you want it. It's cooler anyway. So, All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that you love us. I'm, pre I'm pretty excited this morning to get into your words with your family and uh, hear from you. Um, I thank you that you reminded me this week of just how, how much you love folks. And um, yet, there's judgment without mercy. And... Uh, you give us a chance. Every man, woman, and child is given an opportunity to accept your gift of adoption. That's made through Jesus Christ's sacrificial sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for taking our punishment for sin in your body on the cross. So that we, according to uh, 1 Corinthians, can actually be declared the righteousness of God. We are as righteous as you because you became as sinful as us on the cross. You took our sin. And uh, Lord, for those of us who have accepted your offer to forgive our sin, this is a day of great celebration. For those who have not, there's much to fear. But the judge is also, is also the one that says, I can remove your fear. So may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day of encouragement. May we be drawn closer to you. I pray for safety for our family that's traveling. We pray that you'd bring them back to us. I pray that they'd have a wonderful time with family and friends and on mission trips. Lord, thank you for all you have done in this church for the past 24 years and how you continue to work in us and provide for us. We know that, you'll, that you will continue to work in our hearts. We pray you continue to bless us and provide for us financially. Father, thank you that we can gather here today and, and concentrate on you. And we give the rest of this time to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.
the offering plate passes by. If you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. I know what it's like to try to earn his love. And I know what it's like to feel you're not enough. Running from the sin that you can't hide. And the guilt you feel trying to sleep at night. He came and found me at my very worst. He gave me life that I did not deserve. And I am forgiven now by His good grace because of His mercy. I'll never be the same. This love, this love unending, this grace, this grace amazing, my heart,
There in the newborn Christ, there in the light of every sunrise, there in the shadows of this life, your great grace, it's there on the mountain top. There in the everyday and the mundane. There in the sorrow and the dancing. Your great grace. Oh, such grace. From the creation to the cross. There from the cross into eternity. Your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. It's there on the wedding day. There in the weeping by the grace night. There in the very Oh, sir. 
So I'm breathing in your grace, I'm breathing out your praise. Oh, I'm breathing in your grace forever. I'll be breathing in your grace, breathing out your praise. Oh, I'm breathing in your grace forever. I'll be breathing in your grace, breathing out your praise. Oh, I'm breathing in your grace forever. I'll be breathing in your grace, breathing out your praise. Oh, I'm breathing. creation to the cross there from the cross into eternity your grace finds me yes your grace finds me it's there in the darkest night of the soul there in the sweetest songs of victory, your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. We are resting in the work you have done. There is nothing that you left undone. You opened our world to the presence of our God. Welcomed here as worthy. Because of the cross, we can't walk away. We cannot walk away. Cause here's where we want to stay. Singing blessing and honor, glory and power forever to our God. Through Him, 
take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, um, thank you that we can rest in you. Thank you that heaven is the ultimate Sabbath place where we rest. Thank you that that is what we have to look forward to because of what Jesus did on the cross and we have accepted that offer. But we're not supposed to rest till we get there. So I pray that this morning in our time in, our, in, in your word, that we would be reminded of your task and how you did your ministry and our role in it. So, Father, I ask that as I open your word and share the things you taught me this week, that actually the words of Mark would fade away so that the words of God would endure forever. So we commit our next 45 minutes to you. I ask you to speak to us very uniquely and individually. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I like to say 45 minutes because about half of you go, no way, no way. For those of you visiting, I usually speak for 10 minutes, and then uh, that's not true. The Holy Spirit takes over, and I go for four or five hours. So to settle in, we deliver chicken. Chick-fil-A delivers on Sunday to Carpenter. <laughs> Last week, uh, as you wrapped up your time of Bible study, uh, you, some of you, we're taking to Matthew chapter 22, which is a very, very well-known parable that I'd like to begin by reading to you this morning. Just, just listen as I read it to you. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them. Just keep all this in mind. Servants to tell them, the invited guests, the honored guests. They didn't want to come, so then he sends out other servants. The feast has been prepared, they were supposed to tell them. The bulls and fatted calf have been killed, and everything's ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized the messengers and insulted them, and some were even killed. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murders and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I have invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests, good and bad alike. Uh, there's so much to this parable and, and, and actually we'll get to it, Jesus teaching it later in our study of who is this man. But this morning, I, I want to point out that you could take this parable and it could be used illustratively as an outline for Jesus' ministry. I want to remind you that Jesus actually did ministry somewhere between three and three and a half years. 
Uh, if you want to know the actual outline of Jesus' ministry, you only need to look to John 1, verses 10 to 13, where John says he, referring to Jesus, came to, into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So then he came to his own people, the Jews, and they rejected him. But to all, so the impetus here is then he went to all, but to all who believed in him, Jew or Gentile, honored guests or not, religious or not, good or bad, to all who believed in him and accepted him, something that's missing in today's rhetoric and gospel presentation, to those who respond, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not of physical birth resulting from human passion or intimacy. You understand that. This rebirth isn't the result of a relationship between a man and a woman or a plan. You could define that as religion. Not by plan, but by birth that comes only from God. And that's a problem for the Jews. And frankly, it's a problem for a lot of Christians today. The first year of Jesus' ministry, he actually spends most of his time talking and interacting with the Pharisees. And I, I, uh, one of the things of doing verse by verse each week or going through the Scriptures the way we do is if you miss some, the more you're here, the more you involve with us online, the more it, it piles up. You build a foundation and you keep building and it becomes more relevant and, and more understandable. And, and hopefully as we've gone through this this last uh, few months together, you begin to build an idea of Jesus' ministry. And one thing I want to point out to you, and, and, and I'll, I'll prove this later, but trust me now, um, which is dangerous words for a pastor to say. But actually, for the first year and a half of Jesus' three-year ministry with the disciples. So he starts collecting his disciples about a half a year, six months into his ministry. He finishes that in today's text. We're about a year, a little over a year into his ministry. His ministry as a whole lasts for about three and a half years. So for about six months, he does a lot of things alone. They're watching him. But for the first year and a half uh, of his ministry, he basically, of his three-year ministry with them, I know I messed your head up there, but Think about it, three years with 12 disciples. For the first year and a half, he actually instructs them not to go to Gentiles. I will show that to you in the Scripture at a later time when we get there, and I'll explain why. But the second half, he actually says, now I want you to go out and go to anybody who will listen. And the disciples throughout the rest of their lives actually travel the globe. Uh, for instance, if you're to travel to India and meet with the Christians there, they hold tightly to Thomas because, because history tells us that Thomas went and ministered the gospel in India and many were saved. He actually was stoned to death in India uh, for the, the gospel message. You know that Paul's life ended in Rome. He went into that Gentile culture by way of, of imprisonment. So the disciples actually spread out. Paul spends time in Asia, but they spread out across the globe. But the first year and a half of their ministry is predominantly to a Jewish audience. And I'd like to say that the first year of Jesus' ministry is predominantly to not just a Jewish audience, but the Jewish religious leaders. He is concentrated on the honored guests for the first year. Uh, if you remember, it starts with the great Jewish teacher Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who comes to him at night, and I made the case that I believe he was coming to negotiate Judaism and, and Jesus' teaching, how can we work together? And Jesus said, let me be clear, gets right to the point, unless a man is born again or born from above, he will not see the kingdom of God. It's not enough to be Jewish. To the conversations Jesus had with the Pharisees and their spies in the temple courts at the first Passover, he celebrates with them. 
He answers their question when he forgives a lame lame man's sins. And I want to remind you that Chad preached that wonderful message to us on that text where Jesus is talking and, and ministering, and they rip the roof off and they drop this guy down. And Jesus, instead of saying, pick up your mat and walk first, he says, your sins are forgiven. Because that's what Jesus came to do. The miracles so far in this story up to the point of today's text have been predominantly pick here, pick there, pick this person. It's been orchestrated by God for the purpose of having conversations with the religious leaders. That's why I believe that for the first year and a half, Jesus' ministry is predominantly discussing with the religious leaders who he is. And I came to do what you as religious Jewish leaders could not do, and that's to seek and save the lost. He responds to them when they accuse him of being a friend of sinners. And when, when Jesus calls Levi, or we know him as Matthew, out from being a tax collector. He explains to the religious leaders as to why his followers don't fast like John's disciples did and like the Jewish faithful did. He explained in last week's text that we studied together in the temple courtyard to the religious leaders that he was, in fact, the Son of God, equal to God, and, in fact, was God, and that his teaching, his miracles, God himself, John the baptizer, and even Moses witnessed to his true identity, and they should clearly know. About a year into Jesus' ministry, he's still talking with the Pharisees. And in last week's text, we found out their ultimate reaction to him declaring who he is. So again, I want you to understand that Jesus doesn't just walk around and do stuff. It's a very calendared thing. He talks about it all the time. My time has not yet come. He says that on a half dozen times, if not more. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Now my time has come. Your time for what? To die, to be the sacrifice. Three and a half years into the ministry, he will declare that his time has come. He knows exactly what he's doing. And one of the things that I heard from a lot of you when we talked about the guy being healed at the, at the pool of Be- uh, Bethesda is how Jesus stepped over so many sick people to get to this one guy. Well, why would he do that? Because he did not come to make people feel better about their life or to make their lives better. He came to proclaim himself as the seeker of sinners. He came to heal people from their sin. And, that, uh, and, and to set that conversation up, a one final conversation with the Pharisees to identify where they sit there on a holiday, a holiday, holy day, in the temple courts while everybody is listening, while the Pharisees are listening, while the Sadducees are listening, and he takes that text that we talked about last week and said, I'm God. There's no ambiguity. And you would think that having studied the Scriptures their whole lives and being about Jehovah, who they wouldn't even call by name, they have that much reverence, reverence for him. You would think that they would bow the knee. But John 5.18 tells us that Jew, the Jewish religious leaders, because Jesus claimed that he was God, tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Why? Because he not only broke the Sabbath, which was a big deal to them. I, I, just, I just can't say enough how ridiculous that is. That's like having a Savior whose first miracle is turning water to wine or who in heaven is going to have a marriage feast of the Lamb, where we all drink probably, if it's tradition teaches anything, seven cups of wine, that God hates alcohol. That's just not true. Do I think alcohol is a good idea? Not unless it's NyQuil. But the truth is, it's not a sin to drink. NyQuil is a good decision if you can't sleep. But, not that I've ever had that problem. But, to say that drinking a glass of wine is a sin is not true. We've got to stay true. We've got to stay true to Him. 
and what he says about himself. Because we've always lived in a time, you thought I was going to say we live in a time. We've always lived in a time where we have allowed culture to get us to go into Scripture to define what it says based upon what we want it to say. And I'm here to tell you that what Jesus says about himself is alarming to the conservative. Jesus did not come to save America. I know it's the 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. I love America. I'm thankful for America. People bled and died. I appreciate it. I get to preach today without too much fear that I'm going to be killed for this. Thank God for that. However, if the threat comes, we shouldn't stop preaching. It's not about America. That was the Jews' problem. Okay, I'm, I'm getting off on that. I don't want to. The second thing that's really important is they want to kill him not just because he broke the Sabbath, but because he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal to God or claiming to be God. So why did Jesus spend so much time talking with these Jewish religious leaders that he knew, knew, K-N-E-W, knew, would still want him dead? Look at your screen. This is huge. If, if what we're doing, leave it up, leave it up there for us, Bill. If, if we're here, really, and, and I, look, I'm a pastor, so, and we live in a cynical culture, so, and, and if you came in this morning and you're visiting, you saw, if you look carefully coming in, SBC on the side. So it's like, okay, so not only is he a pastor, but he's a Baptist. So I know what to expect from him. Let me be clear. I'm weird. I'm from Southern California. So I'm not normal when it comes to Baptist pastors. And some of you are giggling because like, you've got no idea. They, why do you amen at the weirdest times, Pam? <laughs> but the, tru the truth is, I'm not Southern Baptist. Neither are we, because at the end of the day, when we go to walk into the kingdom, God's not going to go, how faithful were you to your Southern Baptist roots? That's not the point. This is who we follow. And as people of the Word, Baptists, Assemblies of God members, Lutherans, as people of the Word of God, we should be about what the Word of God says about Him. We should constantly be reevaluating re what we believe, what we teach, what we think about God based upon what we read about Him in the Word. Does that make sense? We've got to be men and, people, men and women of the Word of God. He's given it to us. It's in front of us. And now more than ever, we have to stick with this truth. And so we come together to look at this and to say, who is this man as he in, in, introduced himself to us? And one of the discoveries that I've shared with you that I've been reaffirmed in is that if you are a conservative person, Jesus is way too liberal for you. However, if you are a liberal person, he's way too conservative for you because he demands repentance. Julie and I started talking last night. She's been listening to some things and reading some things, and we, we just talk a lot about God because we have no children in our home. But as, um, which I know shouldn't be an excuse, I, I want to say that. We always talk about God because we're super spiritual. But, but you, know, you know, one of the things, and I, and I want you just to think about this um, and let it sink in. One of the things that's happening is the pendulum of theology keeps swinging in the church. Many of us grew up legalistic, so we started embracing grace. And now grace is getting hyper where, how could you be hyper grace? Well, when you start telling people their sin is no longer sin. You know, Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is to be feared to the person who's sinful. If your sin hasn't been forgiven, he's the lion of Judah. He will devour you. But to the child of God, he's the lamb of God. He's furry and cuddly, but not to the person living in sin. He's ferocious. He's a vengeful God. He's the judge, which is what's so crazy about this story. And it is crazy if you remember it on its surface. That the judge would send the judge to make people unjudgeworthy. 
That's the story of Jesus. It's the judge sending himself so that he could come here and say, you don't have to be judged. And what was the reaction of the Jewish leaders? Not celebration, not hope, but actually let's kill him. He's undermining our rule. Even while they were openly accusing Jesus of being a liar and a blasphemer. And that, look at that verse. Why did he go to the religious leaders? Why does he spend a third of his ministry with them? He's looking at them in the temple courts and he says, I say these things to you despite your reaction, despite how you've treated me, despite your lies, despite what you're planning right now in the back, of, in the back group with the temple police. I say these things so that you might be saved. Are you kidding? I'd have thrown a rock at them. I'd have turned the tables over a second time. I'd have sent the animals to rush over them. I would have made the ground open up like, like at Mount Sinai and swallow all those false teachers, but not Jesus. What does Jesus want? He wants to save them. He wants to save them. Even while they're setting plans in place to have him arrested and killed, Jesus made his case to them over and over so that they might be saved. He went to his own. He went to his honored guests at a wedding feast, and they were uh, about, the, uh, about the wedding feast, inviting them to it, and they reject him. In fact, they offer to kill him. So after a year of significant interaction of the Jewish religious leadership, Matthew 12, 15 tells us what Jesus did next. He knew what they were planning, so he left the area, and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. Out of context, that is a weird sentence. Within understanding what's going on here, though, it makes sense, and you'll find out in a moment. This activity that Jesus did, leaving the religious leaders and going off, ministering to those that are following him, fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, in the end, when all is said and done, when all of his work is done, he will cause justice to be victorious, and, the name will, and his name will be the hope of all of the world. At the point at which we find ourselves in Jesus' ministry this morning, it was not time for him to die. It wasn't time. There's a clock. There's a calendar, and it would be a year and a half away. This wasn't that time. So he withdraws for them. He hides. He goes out to where they can't find him or where they won't find him or where they don't know he's going. And what happens? Many follow this text says. The little people, I'm going to call them this morning, in flyover country. The little people, as Isaiah prophesies, Jesus ministers to them. Jesus had used the Sabbath debates to explain to the masses that only God can save them, not the Jewish religion with its rituals or sacrifices. But they hear of his power to heal people. And many were curious, as you can imagine. So they come to find him for now. Remember, it starts in the story with the honored guests who reject him. And then he sends the messengers out to get guests, Jews. They're going to reject him as well. And then he's going to go to the gutters and the valley and to bad people. That's us. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Unless you're Jewish by birth, it's you. That's not very nice. Well, you're being lied to. Jesus didn't come to save 
beautiful people or even to make you beautiful. He came to redeem you from your sins. That's all. To make you in his image, to use you in ministry, to glorify himself, and one day look forward to Sabbath, the rest. The more I read the words of Jesus and study, the more I think, for a Christian, heaven is retirement. This is our place of business. This is where we work. More on that later. So these people, the little people, start following Jesus, who again is actually attempting to avoid crowds and attention of the religious leaders because it's not his time to die. He doesn't send the masses away, though, but has compassion on them and heals them, which fulfilled prophecy that all of the Jews would have and should have known if they just would have listened to the Scripture instead of their own hearts, flesh, and minds. It's within this context that Matthew reminds us of Isaiah, the prophet's words about him, especially the part where he would offer hope. In his name, hope would be found. Something the Jewish religion, and I might add Baptists and Assemblies of God and Evangelicalism today doesn't offer. Well, you're a preacher in one of those churches. I'm a follower of Jesus first. The truth is that what they offered is more guilt and shame and abuse, and Jesus came to offer hope. You know, the truth is about people, folks, is they know they're in trouble. That's why they drink. That's why you commit adultery, because you deserve a rush. People know they're desperately in trouble. People are afraid of death because they know that they're going to face something that they are not prepared for. People know. Everybody knows. What we're supposed to be is the people going, so do we. Let me introduce you to the only one who offers hope, because we found it. So as he walked away from the conflict with the honored, invited guests to his party, he makes way into the streets where the dishonored or the less honored guests, the sick, the desperate live. And look at what Mark tells us about that interaction. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem, Adamia, from the east of the Jordan River and even as far as north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. When you study Jesus, don't just go to the doctrine. Watch him work. You want to know who he is? The same one today? Watch what he did back in the day. The people came from all over, the little people, to see him, to see for themselves if he was really a man of hope. Verse 9, Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowds would not crush him. Let your mind's eye wonder. God gave your image, your brain for a reason. That tells you how many people were, were, were searching for him. And they didn't just stand and listen. It wasn't an organized crowd. They're pushing in. He healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. Some of you are thinking, aha, he does heal everyone. Only when it fits his ministry goals. Remember that before he was going to minister to the Pharisees. So he did what it took to poke the bear. They asked the right questions. He answered their questions. Their response to his answer to their questions, we don't like that answer, so we're going to kill you. So Jesus moves to the lay people. He moves to the little people. He moves to anyone and everyone who's hungry. And they come in droves. And he tells the disciples, you better, you better get a, a boat and we better get out there so the, cr the crowd doesn't crush him. He healed many people on the day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. Can you see it? They want to touch him. Why? Because that's the healer. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the Son of God. 
But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. That's the second time today we've heard that. He tells the people that he heals not to tell others. And he tells now the demonic. I mean, the sick, the demon-possessed Jews from all over Hebrew regions, and even some Gentiles come to meet this one who offered hope. It was their desperation that drew them. And wasn't it how it was with you? Wasn't it desperation? I just want to be clear. You can't, you can't give enough candy to, for people to respond to the gospel. People go to Disneyland, but they don't give their heart to Mickey. Well, I, actually, let me take that back. Some people do give their heart to Mickey. Uh, the, the truth is, the truth is that, that, that this is about being saved like a drowning person. This was always about needing God. Not about a better way of being an American. Not about a better way of living. It's about God. It's about crying out to Him in desperation. Where do I find hope? Jesus says, watch this. This is who we're talking about. This is why they people came. I want you to notice that in both of these stories I just read for you, both Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus was attempting to walk away from those who wanted to kill him, but he never turns away those who seek him. You want to know who Jesus is, my adulterer, agnostic, sinful, Baptist friend? You want to know who Jesus is, my self-righteous, moral, buckle-in-the-Bible-belt believer? Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are tired. Can I get rid of the Christianese? Are you tired of trying? Has, has your cigarette turned into a weed, marijuana, and that turns into cocaine, and that turns into heroin? Has your pornography turned into deeper pornography? and Whatever. Are you tired of trying? Has your Christian upbringing turned into legalism and hate and then hope in Trump or whoever they're going to put up on the other side and only to find out when they get out of office they weren't serious about Christianity or moralism, they're faking. Are you tired? Jesus says, come to me with your burdens and I'll give you Sabbath. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There are restraints. There's a yoke. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart, you'll find rest. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. In both of the stories I read to you this morning of the text, Jesus tells the healed in the first story and then the demons in the second not to reveal who he was. Why? Because Jesus was not looking to create a religion. He was not looking to go to war with the Pharisees. He came to save even them. And he wasn't looking even to become famous. He would do that himself at the right time. He would be lifted up over Jerusalem on Passover weekend. That would make him famous enough. These days of ministry we're reading about right now were not about the Hebrew nation and they weren't about morality. These days were about Jesus caring about people, little insignificant people that the Jews didn't care about. Sick people that weren't even allowed into the temple courts. At this moment in time, Jesus came to save them from himself. You do realize that, right? 
seated on the throne is Jesus. Seated to the right of another throne, the Father. And when that day comes, He will pass judgment. He came so that you don't have to fear that day. Remember John's vision in, in, in John 2 and 3 where he enters the throne room of God and a lion of Judah comes out and he starts crying. And he looks up and it's the Lamb of God. I, I want to be clear, and this is going to, to make me a hater in our society. So I just want you to know that I'm prepared. I prepared all night. If you do not bow the knee to Jesus and accept his offer to forgive sin and repent of your sin, if you confess your sin, you will be judged by Jesus, even as he loves you. He will not celebrate that judgment. He will not be like that Baptist, angry, Assembly of God preacher who says, go to hell. That's not what he's, he's going to. His comment to you is recorded in Scripture already. Depart from me, you who are cursed. Go into the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. He's not mad. He's disgusted. I didn't even prepare that place for you. And here you go. I can't believe that's where you're going to spend eternity because I did everything in my power to redeem you. It's an incredible story. That's who Jesus is. And if you don't believe that, answer for me. Why does he keep talking to people who want him dead? And he answers the question because I want to save you. And I got news for you. The day you got saved, now you're adopted as his kid and he loves you just as much. If you are a child of God struggling or not struggling, feeding your flesh with adultery, pornography, or same-sex attraction, or self-righteousness, or overeating, or gossiping, or whatever it is you enjoy doing, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't stop chasing you. He doesn't give up. He's redeemed you. But he will let you self-destruct for the purpose of you crying out to him and going, okay, I've been waiting for this now. Let's go on. This is an incredible God. Your daddy doesn't love you this much. Your mama's not this faithful. Your spouse certainly is not this faithful. And you're not this good to your own kids. This Jesus is amazing. Jesus wasn't looking to make his own name famous or his church. That's not why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. That's why he's doing what he's doing here. And the need was great. Many were coming, and in a short time, Jesus would be killed and then after the resurrection, he would leave them. Uh-oh. What then? Well, Jesus seems to be turning his face toward Jerusalem this early in his ministry. Because the next story in line is Mark chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, afterward, after ministering to the crowds, this is the afterward of where Jesus tells the disciples to put him in the boat. It's the next section. Afterward, Jesus went up on the mountain and he called out the one, he called out the ones he wanted to go with him. Oh, there was a choosing. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach. Take a deep breath. This was not the best looking. One of them included a turncoat Judas. This was Peter who was going to constantly rebuke Jesus. But these are the twelve that Jesus chose to prepare to send out in his absence. When Jesus was done, and he would be done because the calendar had him dying, the calendar had him rising three days later, and the plan had him about a month and a half later ascending into heaven. 
And remember that he said he had to leave them when the disciples asked him, you're not going, are you? Because it makes sense for them to want him to stay. You're the preacher. You're the healer. You're the minister of hope. What happens if you leave? He goes, well, I have to leave so that someone greater than me can come, inhabit you, and you're going to do greater things than I've done. What? We're going to study Acts when we're done with the story of Jesus' life because I don't think you realize our calling. I don't think we realize. I think in the Bible Belt, we, we think we're on a cruise ship called SS Jesus. And we're just sitting around under the good or bad leadership of the captains that God brings, and we just kind of evaluate them. And if he does well, we stay. And if he doesn't do well, we go to the church across the street. Why? Because I don't really like it anymore. I got news for you. It's about you. Take a deep breath, Pastor. We're not there yet. Before us, he picked 12. And it tells us why he picked them. Even their names. He called them apostles. It was an office. It was a thing. The word apostles in Greek isn't a religious word. It just means sent out ones with a message. (laughs) That's what it means. I will call you messengers. And it actually tells us in this text of Mark that he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. And these are the 12 he chose. There was Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed, nicknamed them the sons of thunder. <laughs> I wonder why he nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Jesus was cool to hang with. I think they got the nickname not because they were calm to be around. <laughs> there was Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who, of course, none of the four authors of the gospel can talk about without reminding us that he betrayed him. Just just a side note, for those of us in ministry, for those of you in ministry watching today, I want to remind you that even Jesus' elder council had a turncoat. So don't feel sorry for yourselves, Mark. My elders are are perfect. I I just want to be clear on that. But I just want to remind you as you do ministry, it's not about having the perfect team. It's about being perfectly faithful. Let that sink in. It's not about the perfect team. If we only had a better leadership team, that's that's not true. Jesus picked fallen men, one of whom would kiss him in preparation to have him killed. It's not about the perfect team. It's about perfect faithfulness. You keep your eyes on Jesus. The word apostle was given to them. And so was the message of forgiveness, of grace outside of religion. It would last beyond even the life of Christ. And so knowing that his time with them would be short, he began to build up this team. And he would send them out, who themselves would cascade a team of followers. Each of them would develop disciples, disciples, who then would build a team of disciples themselves. And here we are today as a result of that. And this morning, it's my job to build you up, because you are the heirs to Jesus' ministry. Jesus picked 12, they picked 12, they picked 12, and the numbers cascaded internationally throughout the world. And here we are on the ends of the earth in the United States of America in a little place called Lubkin, Texas, heirs to the ministry of Jesus. And just to be clear, I want to take you to a very familiar passage where Jesus is praying hours before his arrest in John 17, and I want you to listen to what Jesus prays for. Jesus looked up into heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives to eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. Here it is. You know how to have eternal life? Here's the answer. To know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
So you want to know how to have eternal life? It's not by being Baptist or Assembly of God or Lutheran, Mormon. It's not by going to church. It's by knowing Jesus. That's what Jesus prayed. Verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Oh, I'm done. I'm done, Father. Now, Father, bring me into glory we shared before the world began. Coming home, Daddy. See you soon. My work's done. Second thought. I revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer actually, Father, is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you now. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, Father, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was locked except the one headed for destruction, as the Scriptures foretold. He's talking about Judas. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you. I have told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking them that you take them out of the world, but you keep them safe from the devil, the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. Heirs to the ministry. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sending the twelve. Think about that. Let that soak in. Well, what happens when Jesus leaves? We'll just tell people about Jesus. That's true, but who who is supposed to do that? These twelve, eleven of them. Verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through your message. That's you. That's me. He's praying for us. All who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus gave it to the disciples. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they would give it to others. Remember, on the day of Pentecost, thousands are saved. Inhabited by the Holy Spirit, they run through the city of Jerusalem. People come to Jesus as a result. The church explodes during that period of time. Others are brought in. Others are discipled. And the church begins to get organized because chaos reigns. Satan starts getting the women, the Jewish widows, they feel like, or the, the Gentile widows feel like the Jewish widows of the church are being helped and cared for more, and you have modern Christendom. <laughs> Everybody's mad at everybody else. So, as a result, God uses Paul to develop leadership in the church, deacons to take care of the physical needs, and elders to, over, uh, to oversee the spiritual health of the flock. Why? Because Jesus gave his ministry to the disciples who were to give it to their disciples, who were to give it to their disciples until 2019 when I would be standing before you as an heir to the ministry of Jesus Christ through the people who led me to Christ and the people who discipled me to disciple you so that you can remember you are the children of God called to fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ in the world in East Texas where you think everybody's saved. And I'm here to tell you they're not. They're not saved. They may go to church, but they're not saved. Well, how can you make that judgment? Because of the fruit of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is not no alcohol. It's not good marriages. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's long-suffering. It's not trashing Washington on the right or the left. It's, it's, it's not bad-mouthing people. It's telling people that hope is not found in Washington. And I, somebody amen my stomping. I am with you. My flesh wants to wave the flag with a machine gun on it. I don't know what to add to that. There seems like it should be three, but something else. The King James Bible. But I got news for you. Only Jesus saves, not even the King James Bible. And I believe that Satan has distracted us with stuff to get our eyes off of Jesus because Jesus is not only our only hope, he's their only hope. The problem with America is not same-sex marriage. The problem with America is not abortion. The problem with America is not what Hollywood is producing as movies. The problem with America is not our political leaders. The problem with America is people who claim to be the children of God are not inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Surrender to him, understanding that their job is to minister truth and hope to people, even people they do not like. That is the problem. The problem with the United States is not the lost, it's the saved, or people who claim that they are. Because we don't understand that Jesus came only for three and a half years. He just, three and a half years is a short period of time. And one year of that he spends with the, with the Jewish religious leaders. And the next six months he spends with the Jews. And the next year and a half he spends telling anybody and everybody. But actually he keeps, and pay attention to the story, you know it, he keeps pulling the disciples away to be alone on a mountaintop. Why does he do that? To train them. Because soon his time is going to be over. And even Jesus understands that if you can multiply the messenger by 11, you win. And when he leaves, he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Go to Jerusalem and wait for him. Then we have Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit inhabits those 120 in the upper room who over a 12-hour period turn into 5,000, who over a five-week period turn into another 5,000. And the fire's been lit, brothers and sisters, and we are saved as a result. We are the children of God inhabited by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the ministry of Jesus to everybody around us. This isn't just to find out if he's who we hope he is. It's to find out what our task is. That's why we study this. We study this to become more like Jesus in the way we look at people on the other side of the political aisle, those who have different attractions than we do. Not to accept their sin, but to tell them there's hope beyond their sin. If 51% of marriages in this country, and I don't know if that's an accurate statistic, but if 51% of heterosexual marriages fall apart today, what do you think it's going to be in same-sex marriages? If we can position ourselves not as haters, but as people who actually offer hope no matter what your sin is, it may be when their lives blow up, they come to us for hope and we can offer them Him. If we're so busy being right about everything and moral about everything, and self-righteous about everything, even after Paul says we are not here to condemn the lost, but actually to judge the church. There's the other side. It is your job to hold me into account. If I beat my wife every day, you better be on your game and tell me that godly men don't beat their wives. I will then beat you. But then the person, <laughs> just teasing, I'm kind of a weenie. The truth, the truth is, you guys, this is not that complicated, but we've made it so complicated. It's about him. It's all. It's just about him. What about election? It's none of your business. It's none of my business. I think I got it figured out. You think you got it figured out. Um, John Calvin thought he had it figured out. Joseph Arminius thought he had it figured out. Guess what? We're all wrong. God's right. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. 
Turn off the news. It's all fake. This, not my Apple iPad. I need a Bible. Hold on, I'll be back. This is true. No matter what anybody else tells you, this is where truth is found. Well, I've, I've started reading the Bible five times and I get to Leviticus and I fall asleep. <laughs> Julie does too. <laughs> I, I, on the other hand, find every verb and vowel and letter meaningful. Especially the laws that I don't understand. Uh, the, the truth is, parts of it are grueling and here's a newsflash, it's supposed to be. Because the more grueling it is and the more gross it is, the more you realize it's really just about Jesus. It's not about religion and religious leaders. They keep screwing up. I mean, the Old Testament, it's a long story of God's grace and people's stupidity. It, it just is. It's just over and over and over again. You go, why should I read this? It's depressing. Because it's depressing. That's why we read it. It's supposed to be. It's the story of man trying to redeem himself since the Garden of Eden. Remember the name of the tree? It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a wisdom decision. Thank you, God, for making us naive. But we'd like a little more knowledge. It was religion. If, if I know right and wrong, good and bad, I can be like you and I can help raise a good family. God doesn't want you. He wants you to look at Him. He wants you to be wise. He wants you to teach your children that it's not about them. I want to go... I'm going to get back to this, but I, I, I just want to share with you something that's on my heart and, and I'm... I'm just, a, I'm just a traveler, a sojourner like you, but I, I read the articles, I see the posts on the internet, I read the, pay, I read the stuff in Christianity magazines, and I read the books, um, and I color the color. Most of them, I color the pictures, but it feels like we have turned the church, like I said already, into a cruise ship, where you're the customers, and you know better, but you're still the customers. I don't mean carpenters, I mean in general, where where the saints are the customers and the paid staff are the ship staff. And you're right, I grew up in the 80s, so I'm thinking of Love Boat. And it's like, it's, like, it's like the job of the paid staff is to make sure that you and your kids feel good with the worship and the programming and the facilities. What are we doing? What are we doing spending billions of dollars on facilities? Has the message no longer moved our hearts? It's, it's almost like the flocks think that it's the job of the staff to make sure that they feel good and the kids feel good and it's, it's a clean party all the time so that they can enjoy the cruise called life. And too often, if something isn't to the liking of a member of a church, they complain to the cruise staff and if they don't change it the way they want it, they just go to another ship. And some ships have more money and they spend a lot of money on those and, and, and then they give you what you want. And I think that's satanic to be truthful with you. You see, when you take a local church like Carpenter's Way, it's not my boat, it's God's. And we have holes. And when you identify it, you're not supposed to tell about the hole, you're supposed to figure out how to put steel over the hole. If you have kids and grandkids, and they don't like the children's ministry because their friends go to the Catholic church or somewhere else, when are you going to tell your kid it wasn't about that in the first place? It really wasn't. I mean, we all want our friends to be happy, but I got news for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little secret, Carpenter's Way. My kids didn't like all the kids at Carpenter's Way. In fact, they had very few friends. 
And you know what Mark and Julie said? I'm sorry, did you think it was about your friendships? Let's have dinner. Well, Daddy, I I know. That's what heaven's for, right? But this is work. So how about being a friend? Oh, that's, that's not the personality of Anna. Anna, well, actually, Zach. Zach is more. I mean, anybody who knows Zach, and I'm not telling on my kids this is their personality, and they will tell you, anybody who knows Zach knows that his graduation party was all of the adults that had ministered to Zach in his life. And we asked him five times, are you sure you don't want to invite kids your age? No, I want to invite Jeff and Alicia and Doug and Wendy. There's people that he, Mark and Connie, and I, I'm sorry, I know a lot of you are on the list, but he just, those were his people. And, and I'm not saying that we raised our kids perfectly, but can I just beg with you? Church has nothing to do with the social life that you live. You can have people over on Sunday afternoon for a football game. This is about growing in knowledge and love of the Lord and understanding our task. And if we keep building these facades, these facilities that children love, like Disneyland-like facilities, and then we do that in the student ministry, and then they graduate from high school, why wouldn't they leave? We can't keep affording that. What are we going to do on Sunday? Well, actually, I know what we're going to end up doing on Sunday mornings. We're going to have silly sets because we have to entertain people because they start thinking genetically in their DNA that Christianity is about how you feel, not what is true. And I got news for you. Some of us are going to die for the faith. Oh, your hobby horse says, no, I'm really worried about this. I'm really worried about whether or not we're raising our kids to walk with God or to walk with a church that makes them feel good. You are here to make this God's place and to keep it God's place. That's why you're here. You you are not here because you like the mojo of this place. I I mean, I hope you do. I'm hilarious. I mean, I I hope you do, but you you understand, right? I I just want to warn you that if your whole goal of parenting is to make sure that your kids go to prom in the right dress and the right car, you are a failure as a parent. That's not very nice. That's not very hopeful. I'm begging you to think beyond feelings. Easter isn't about buddies. Christmas isn't about elves. And the church isn't about you. It's where God invented so we could come out from the hard work that we do. We come in here and for a few hours we minister to each other. Me to you, you to each other. You get in a small group. You talk about life. You can share your sin. People pray for you. They encourage you. They love on you. And then we go back, well, that's not my church experience. Then change it. Quit griping and change. Those of you who watch on the Internet, I know that we have about a dozen of you who watch because you refuse to go to church. You cannot, I'm going to say it, you cannot be a healthy Christian and not be involved with Christians. Sorry. It's just not biblical. Oh, there you go with the Bible again. Absolutely. Absolutely. We gather to spur each other on to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10 says, And if you're not being spurred on and spurring others on, you're not healthy. I just need Jesus. Only if your goal is just to go to heaven. But beyond that, he gave us each other to live this battle out. This is what we do. We take care of each other. Not the staff down, but you equally and up. Sometimes you take care of us. We take care of you. But what does this have to do with the story of Jesus? We're heirs to the ministry. We can't do it out there if we're too busy doing it in here or selfishly. So how long have you been at Carpenter's Way? 15 years. Oh, I remember back in the day. 
there were better days, there were worse days. There will be rich years and there will be poor years. There will be beautiful people in our flock and ugly people in our flock. But I want to make a commitment to you right now. Our flock will be led by Jesus Christ. And when you don't want that, I want a six-month severance, but I'll leave. I had to add that because somebody may want that. I, I'm simply telling you, and I, this is not about Carpenter's Way. This is about listening to what the rhetoric is out there. And I assure you it's coming in here. You are under attack, not outside of the church, but inside of the church. If you call people to repentance, you are under attack. And that's why we need to come together, agreeing together that we are going to follow Jesus even if it's unpopular. Because it will become unpopular. Just so you don't think I'm crazy, I'm going to take you to Philippians chapter 2. You know part of this text, but I want you to see it in its context. I'm a context kind of guy because it makes it work. Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing this to a church in Philippi, a Gentile church under Nero's leadership. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, in other words, if there's anything I'm going to ask of you, that's what he's going to say. I'm Paul. You love me. Thank you for reading my letter. I love you guys. Thank you for interacting with me. I miss you. If there's anything I would ask of you, one thing as Paul, your apostle, any comfort from the love of God, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Do you care what I think? That's what he's saying. Is your heart tender for me? Verse 2, then make me truly happy. How, Paul? How can we make you happy? By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Well, what is it? Paul, what's that one mind and one purpose? Well, before I get there, don't be foolish or selfish. Don't worry about impressing others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests when searching for a church, but actually the interests of others too. If we were to do that, we'd have to ask ourselves, where can I serve, not where can I be fed? Here's his point. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was that? Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up the, his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names. So here's the point. We are heirs to Jesus' ministry. Yes, the 12, then their 12, and then another 12 until us. We're heirs to the ministry. I beg of you. Don't go to church. Be the church. Be the body of Christ. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Take grasp of your mandate firmly into your hands. Don't just raise kids, moral kids, good kids. Raise godly kids. It is different. Don't just attend preaching. Serve others. Don't just fill holes, find holes in our ministry. Fill them. Don't just pray for our staff and ministries and missionaries and church budgets. Serve and give sacrificially. Give I hate talking, everybody knows, anybody who's been here more than an hour knows I hate talking about money. But give sacrificially. Why? Because 
We're supporting missionaries all over the globe. We're spreading this. We're doing ministry here. Do you know that for the last four weeks we've had children and adults at camp? You can find out who they are because they're laying on the floor under their chairs right now. <laughs> We're discipling. Oh, I will give more for them. Give more and volunteer to Alicia. Jump in. I am not a child care worker. We got vacuuming to do. There's chairs with cigarette buttholes in them. Um, well, we should buy new ones. Then give and we'll buy new ones. Participate. If you, if you drive in the parking lot and you see the sign, one of the first things we changed when I came is the sign because, well, the Lord took it off with, with wind. But we replaced it with the sign that says, the home of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Do you know why it says the home of? Because in about an hour and a half, this place is not going to be Carpenter's Way Church. You're going to be all over this community. Go get them, church. Go get them. We don't need T-shirts. You're the shining symbol of what God is doing. Or not. Go get them. Want to, do, to know what to do in a world that licks ice cream and puts it back in a Walgreens? I mean, can you imagine that? <laughs> I had never thought of that. It's sent, just in case you're wondering. That's definitely sent. And I know that the guys who run Bluebell Ice Cream watch Carpenter's Way Services. So I just like to say, what's it going to cost you to put a little plastic band around my ice cream? Because it's going to be a while before I eat your ice cream again. Because every goofy kid is now licking the top. Did you see the solution, though? You take a knife and you cut the top off. You lose about a pint of ice cream that way. So I'm sorry, that was a hobby horse. What do we, <laughs> that was a big squirrel. What do we do in a world that's filled with hate? We do what he did. We talk with them. We tell them the truth, even if they want to fight with us about it, and they may even want to kill us. And we tell them the reason I told you this is not to have a fight or to be killed, but to tell you that Jesus wants to save you. And then we walk off, and we go to the next group. And when that group doesn't want to hear it anymore, we go to the next group. And you go to your neighbors, and then you go to your bar. Yes, I said bar. And you tell the bartender about Jesus. Well, I can't tell the bartender about Jesus if I'm doing bad stuff, then knock it off. Knock it off. Quit looking at porn. Quit flirting with women that are not your wives. Knock it off. Oh, but I'm too deep in. You're not too deep in. Break up with your girlfriend. She's not your wife. Well, you make it sound easy. It's not that hard. You just got to want God more than you want you. And that is what Paul said, right? A living sacrifice? A living sacrifice? I know, I'm meddling. And I'm with you. Because there's some things Mark Wilkie needs to give up. I'm just holding on to them until you give up yours first. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm in the battle with you. And I can assure you as I look around this room, in 60 years all of us will be home. And then we'll be in our Sabbath rest. Until then, pick up your Bible and go back to work at home, in this church, in the community. This text has Jesus ministering to thousands of people and then picking 12. And those 12 would be commissioned. Go now and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many of you have been baptized. Your job is to now go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, how long do I have to do that? Or I'm too old until your task is over. How do I know when that is? When God takes you home. That's your Sabbath rest. 
Until then, we ain't done. In fact, we're just starting. We're just starting. Let's close in prayer. Father, I, I thank you for your life as an example to us. Your life as a statement. First uh, John says that those who live in Christ or love Christ must live as Jesus lived. So I pray, Father, as we go out to lunch with our families later this morning, that as you bring ministry people to us, that we wouldn't be too busy with our things to minister to them like you were. May we pray for the sick. May we lay hands on the needy. May we minister to the hopeless. May we offer forgiveness to the sinful. And may we never forget that it is by grace, through faith in Christ alone, that we ourselves have been saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. If you don't have one, we would love to take you to one. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.